Thanks for tuning in to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thirst for More podcast was created to help strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone that loves lifting heavy shit all be connected under one roof. We take deep dives into coaching, programming and training, running gyms, nutrition, and overall improving your knowledge in the field of strength and conditioning. If you're new here, I'm glad you're able to tune in and hope you can just take away one awesome piece of information today to help you along with your journey. If you're a returning supporter, I appreciate you being along for the ride. Now let's dive into today's episode. On episode 38 of the Thirst Smart Podcast, I sit down and discuss one rep max testing with athletes and is it worth it? Is this testing you should use with your athletes to determine whether they're getting better, stronger, faster, improving performance on the field, court, swimming pool, what have you? This testing is very popular in the high school and collegiate realms, and depending upon what sector you're in, they may be worth it, they may not, and we kind of discuss why you might use them and why you shouldn't. But ultimately, it really comes down to you as a coach, but I give you lots of things to think about here what you're testing, what constraints you can put upon these testing. Is it worth it in the long run, depending upon what you're looking for? Do you even have the resources to be able to do the testing? And if you do, what kind of schedule works best to be able to get you the best numbers available to present to the coaches so you can show that your program is moving in the right direction that you want it to? So it's a very controversial topic within strength and conditioning, especially at the high school and the collegiate level. And as a private sector coach, I weigh in on how we do our testing, but then also at the same time, how you can use them at the collegiate or the high school sector to help your outcomes. So I hope you enjoy this episode, episode 38 on one rep max testing for athletes. Hey, it's Brandon here from the Thirst for More podcast, and today we're going to talk about one rep max testing for athletes, and is it worth it? Now, as a strength and conditioning professional, I have been involved in multiple different programs where one rep max testing has taken place, and then other programs where one rep max testing is not taking place. So we're going to kind of look at both sides of the coin here. Is it worth performing if you are a coach, if you're an athlete? What kind of information does this tell us? What is worth testing? What's not worth testing? There's a lot of different avenues we can take this subject, right? So the first disclaimer I want to give here is that I work primarily with middle school and high school athletes. So my context might be slightly different if you're only a collegiate strength and conditioning coach or a private sector strength and conditioning coach that works only with professionals, or you have a mix. You have some college, some pro, some middle school, some elementary, some high school. Again, it all just depends and context matters to some extent. And at the end of the day, I think as long as you can justify why you're doing this, that is going to be the first thing of importance. If you can't justify why you're doing something, then I'm going to scratch my head and think, well, why are we doing this to begin with, right? So for me personally, I see a lot of athletes that come through my doors. And one of the things that we talk about is, you know, if they have strength conditioning experience or in a weight room, and if they do, do they do one or max testing? Or if athletes tell us they have one or max testing, when that's coming up, what that looks like, how frequently this is occurring. There's there's several different issues overall. So I've got a couple different things here that we're going to talk about regarding this. I want you to know that there's a lot of information that we're probably going to cover here today. But at the end of the day, what I want you to understand is if you do one rep max testing or you don't, as long as you can justify your reasoning, I'm probably going to support you so long as it's done in a safe and effective manner. So the first thing about one rep max testing is figuring out why are we doing it and what are we testing? Okay, so to get some quick definitions out of the way here, one rep max testing is usually 
looked at in major compound strength movements in the weight room. So we usually talk about the back squat, the bench press, the power clean or the hang clean, the deadlift, maybe a front squat. Um, it could be a close grip bench press. Those are usually kind of the movements that we're looking at, okay, in terms of a, a one rep max test. What that means is we're going to do the heaviest weight we can lift and use that as a gauge to whether we're getting stronger. Now, as a professional coach and doing this for a living, one rep max testing can only tell you so much, right? It's only a brief snapshot in a period of time of an athlete's career to measure some sort of strength, whether that be lower body strength, full body strength, explosive strength. Again, it depends on what you're testing. So when you're doing this, it's trying to look at the absolute strength. What's the most amount of weight that they can lift? And in the weight room, that gives us an objective measure of how strong they are certain movements. And if there's movements that need improved, then we have movements that we know we can attack and address in the weight room to hopefully make them become a better athlete. Now, in the one rep max testing realm, the question I like to ask myself is, is what we're doing going to help them be a better athlete? Because at the end of the day, the weight room is a means to an end from an athletic performance perspective. It's not a powerlifting mean. And one of the big things that I hear from a coaching perspective, from like a sport coach perspective, is that we're not powerlifters, we're not bodybuilders, we're not weightlifters, we're athletes. And I 100% agree. I 100% agree. You are not a strength sport athlete, you are a sport athlete. So therefore, the weight room is general physical preparedness. It's general in nature. There's not the squat rack or the bench press, or the clean out on the field or in the swimming pool or what have you. So these can only tell us so much information about the athlete. Now, most one rep max testing is usually used to determine how successful a program was for a particular athlete. So let's say athlete A, the beginning of season, has a 225-pound back squat. And then at the end of their season, they're at a 250-pound back squat. Okay, so they added 25 pounds to their back squat. They're stronger. Theoretically, they should probably be a little bit faster, jump a little bit higher, be a little bit more resilient. But we can't prove that with just that test alone, right? We need to measure other things. We need to measure vertical jump. We need to measure broad jump. We need to measure a pro agility or a 40 time or a 10 time. You know, There needs to be some kind of athletic movement to determine how that's happening. So hopefully you can see where I'm going already is that well, the strength test does have some importance if it's not carrying over to better uh, KPIs or key performance indicators, then it may not be the best idea. Now, as somebody that works with young athletes, I look at one rep max testing uh, with a shady eye, I guess is what we'll kind of call it, in that I'm not against one rep max testing. The question is, what are you trying to derive from that information? If you're using that information to propel your program and your athlete forward, and you have numbers to prove what you're doing is working, then I think sometimes it can be good to have those numbers because it's objective, right? As, as so long as the squats don't get higher and the bench presses don't get bounced more off their chest, right? These are good reliable ways to ensure that our athletes are getting stronger. We just got to connect the dots to the keep the KPIs, the key performance indicators that things are going the way that we want, right? We wouldn't expect our bench press to go up 50 pounds. And then all of a sudden our 40 time drop, there's probably not a whole lot of correlation there between those two activities. If you're not doing anything between them, 
right? You're not just going to bench press and get faster. It's not always going to work that way. Um, so you've got to find that blend of what you're looking for. Now, as somebody that works with high school athletes, what I will tell you is that one rep max testing is done one incredibly way too frequently. I don't think you need to one rep max as at the end of every eight week or 12 week training program that's put together, right? If you look at the numbers that you're doing in your training program with your main compound movements, again, we're going back to those back squat, front squat, bench press, maybe incline press, hang clean, um, you know, maybe a hang snatch, whatever. If those numbers are improving, regardless of what the set and rep schemes are, if those numbers are consistently improving over time, wouldn't it be a very logical deduction that strength is improving, right? So let's take, for example, our 225-pound back squatter. Let's say that they're consistently doing 185 or three sets of three, and then by the end of the season, they're doing 205 or three sets of three. I would like to think that athlete's stronger, right? They're doing 20% more weight for the same amount of sets and reps. So therefore they should be stronger. That's, I don't need a one rep max test to tell me that. And that can be used for any exercise or activity, right? As long as there's improvement seen over the course of the training block, the training program, even the year, the season, progress should be pretty noticeable. So if that's the case, then why do we need one rep max testing? Now, some programs revolve off of percentages and let's take a good old classic program like 531 that runs off of percentages thanks to jim windler so we have a certain percentage that we're basing that off of a one rep max which it even uses a training match which i think is also could be discussed here but it makes your percentages on the safer side to account for fatigue and so one of the issues with a percentage-based program is that it doesn't take into account other stressors, right? That's what you were good for that given day. Let's just use hundred pounds for good round numbers, just so it makes the math easy. Let's say athlete A has a bench press of 100 pounds. And so we're going to run our percentages off that. And after a couple of weeks, they're supposed to do say 90% for five. Well, assuming they've gotten stronger, 90% for five could be possible. Generally, it's not. If we just went off a regular program, I bench press hundred, I got to do 90 for set five. 95% plus chance that's not going to happen unless they're incredibly novice. And that one rep max, they did at hundred. Maybe they were actually good for one Oh four, but you couldn't get one Oh four on the bar. Okay. Let's just say that. So it, it could be possible, but probably not. But the percentage program is crossing their fingers that the athlete is going to improve at a particular rate. And if they improve at a particular rate, then 90% now should maybe be 85%, which for a set of five is very reasonable. Um, not always, but that is way more reasonable than 90%. So percentage programs are usually taking into account that progress is being made over the course of whatever program you're running, whether that be eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, you get what I'm saying. So that is my issue with percentage-based programs is that they don't take into account auto-regulation or how the athletes feel. Every athlete's going to feel different. You have five athletes in a rack. And again, let's say they're doing that 90% for five after 12 weeks of training. That's what they're supposed to do. Assuming every athlete has progressed the same. It's assuming every athlete is walking in feeling the same. It's assuming that every athlete is completely healthy, right? There's not ankle, knee, hip, shoulder issues. Those are very few and far between that the athlete that walks in from week one is going to be the same athlete that walks in on week 12. 
but also that all five athletes are going to walk in as the same athlete that they were and progress at the same rate and attend as many training sessions and are diligent with their sleep and their recovery and their hydration and their nutrition. We know as coaches, that's not going to happen. So you got to play the game of averages here and assume that the average kid is going to progress at the average rate. You're going to have your outliers that overperform and your uh, athletes that underperform in terms of that recovery um, model, but also that progression model of your percentages. So you'd want those to be on the side of caution versus aggressive if you were going to do that. But as you can see with the percentage-based program, that's why I don't like that. But that's why people are using one rep maxes because many programs that are for free online or they, they've gotten out of some old book or they're still running bigger, faster, stronger off these percentages, they need a number to run those off of. So their thought process is, well, we're going to test every kid on the football team, get these numbers, plug and chug them into the spreadsheet. Every kid's going to know what they have to do. We don't have to do about any thinking about what goes on the bar. The kid knows what goes on the bar. The coach knows what goes on the bar. And it's an objective measure because they need to hit these many sets and reps at these weights. And that's it. And I think the reason that seems convenient is because of structure, right? Again, like I said, there's no thinking that has to be done. You follow what the spreadsheet turns out from a percentage standpoint, and you're good to go. But again, going back to what I said, with all the other factors that happen within an athletic career, especially young youth athletes, and then also coaches having to make decisions, there's a lot of things that can change. So from a one rep max perspective, percentages run off that one rep max, and that's one reason why coaches like it. Number two, again, we talk about showing progress. It's objective. Again, assuming all the reps are held to a high standard and are tested within the same procedures for the most part. Again, talking about squatting to the same expectation of depth. They are benching to the same expectation, not bouncing off their chest, their butt coming off the bench. Uh, spotters not helping them, things like that. Same thing with the cleans. Are the, are the cleans getting uglier as the weight progresses or are they still able to change levels, drop underneath, catch it, get their elbows high? You don't know just looking at the numbers, right? They could start starfishing these exercises, which really you don't know that's when your feet get out really wide and your elbows are down and you look like a starfish when you catch the weight. You might have lifted 15 more pounds, but if it got uglier, did you really get stronger in that movement or did you just compensate your movements to get the load from point A to point B? And again, now the question is, did that make you a better athlete? Well, that's to be determined, right? If we don't have our KPIs lined up, we'll have no way to know whether that transferred or not, whether the the technique broke down or not. So the reason that we're testing those is because we want objective data. Assuming that that data is consistent, then we can look back at our program as well. These athletes got so much percentage stronger off this program, so now we should be able to run, jump, throw faster, harder, what have you. So that's another reason why it's done is because it's an objective measure of data. And when you get to the collegiate realms, that can be a little bit more important because as a strength coach, your job is to get kids stronger and faster and more resilient and stay healthy. And the sport coach is going to want to see the numbers to prove that. So if the team average goes up 10% on their bench press, then if the coach is like, I wanted more upper body strength for our wrestlers, let's say, then the strength conditioning coach will say, well, our bench press is up 10%. Everybody's averaging two more pull-ups um, for their, their rep max test. So I can prove that the program that I'm doing did the job that it was supposed to do. So if we lost and we still feel like upper body strength is an issue, 
I did my job as a coach, so maybe upper body strength isn't just the only issue that we have as a wrestling team. Okay. Again, this is just an example. So it kind of gives strength coaches a way to prove their pudding that they're put their proof is in their pudding so that when they take it to the coach, they can say, Hey, this is what happened. All right. This is the results. This is the data. And with strength conditioning, data is becoming more important. All right. Just uh, from a job security perspective at the collegiate level, you've got to get results. You just do. I mean, with the way that collegiate sports are going, that's very important. High school athletes, that data may not be as important because the coach is probably going to keep his job. The weight room coach or the PE teacher is probably still going to keep their job with whether or not the progress is made at the rate that they want. Okay. Unless you're a very high end place in the high school realms. So from a one rep max testing, you can see how that gives them validity there as well. And those are the kind of the two main reasons that I believe one rep max testing exists. Okay. You could argue maybe a little bit of recruiting uh, for the high school kids. A coach might say, Hey, what's your back squat? What's your hang clean? What's your bench press? And they might take some of those numbers and compare them to another athlete that they're recruiting. And so if one athlete's weaker, they might say, well, we can get a stronger kid that's got similar skill level. I like them better, or they might have a bigger upswing, um, or the kid that's weaker has all the skills, but like, well, if we just get the kid in the weight room, this kid might outperform athlete B in four years after recruiting once we get him involved in our strength and conditioning program, right? So again, it's all just data that's being used to extrapolate hypothetical ideas of what the athlete might be potentially able to do further on down the road. Now, as a power lifter myself, I'm very familiar with one rep maxing, like, you know, taking the heaviest single you can. And I'm also, people know me for the conjugate system, which involves one rep maxing essentially on a lower body movement and upper body movement every single week, basically 52 weeks out of the year. So I'm very familiar with what it takes to hit a one rep max on any given day. I do like the conjugate system. I do like absolute strength being trained and developed for athletes. And again, the question comes down to, can it improve our KPIs? And if it does, are we picking the right exercises? So I'm going to give you my take on this, the, the cons um, of the uh, one rep max testing. We already kind of talked about a little bit that the percentage game, if the athletes don't progress in terms of certain percentages, then they may not be able to keep up with said program. And if they can't keep up with said program, then they're behind or you're setting them up for failure or missing more lifts. And as we know, missing lifts does not get you stronger, right? It actually fatigues your nervous system more because you're training at a higher threshold than what you actually need to be. And that becomes an issue. So the first issue there is just that if you're using the one rep max testing to base your percentage-based program off of, that's where I have an issue because every athlete is different. And with my business model, I can control more of that. With a team setting, I still would not prefer to use one rep max testing, but I can understand from a testing perspective or an objective perspective why it's important. Now I'm going to talk about how you can modify that maybe for your program if you're listening and you think, I still want to test. How would I do it? We'll get to that in a little bit. The second thing that I don't like is constantly taxing your athletes when I don't think there's a return on investment there. So what I mean is, do my high school kids need to one rep max a couple times a year to prove a program's worth just to run their body into the ground? And we're not taking into account what's going on while we're doing that testing. 
you might test the week of sectionals. Why? Your most important game is this coming Friday, and you're going to take a max squat on Monday and a max bench press on Tuesday and a max power clean on Wednesday, Thursday off, and go to a game. I wouldn't put that much kind of stress on an athlete before a big event or really just any event, but you can see how sectionals or a playoff-based perspective performance is important. I want my athletes recovered and ready to go, right? I want to optimize performance for the game that matters, not to satisfy my strength tests. My strength tests, if you were to do them in this case, should be in a low period of stress so that you can set them up for success, but it's not going to affect anything that we have coming on in the field or the court of the practice uh, for days to come. The other issue I have is that with this is more of a high school perspective, not so much college. I don't see it as much in college or as I haven't from whenever I've been in those collegiate rooms is that high schoolers, especially guys are incredibly stubborn. And if they miss a lift, they'll try to make any kind of excuse to take it again and take it again. And as a power lifter that likes consciousness, I understand nothing happens. Good happens when you miss a lift. And if you miss a lift, your chances of getting it again are pretty low. Okay, if you missed it, you probably hyped yourself up. The nervous system output response that you got to try to lift that weight. And then you've got the mental games that come in of why you missed. You pitched forward. The bar fell off your back. Um, your butt kicked up. Like It could be anything, right? But it's probably going to happen again. And are you going to be able to give that same amount of effort that you just gave to that new water at max that you thought you were going to do and you didn't get? Right. Again, this is more of a high school thing, but it's a legit concern that I see way too frequently in my line of work. And then stemming off of that, the other issue that I have is how do we teach our kids how to make smart jumps to test a one rep max? Are, are you having these conversations with your athletes? So let's go back to our athlete that's got a 225 pound back squat. And we talked about, let's say hypothetically, they're gunning for a 250-pound retest 16 weeks later. So at the end of the semester, beginning of the semester was 225. Goal was 250. One rep back stake testing comes up. You as a coach, what are you saying to your athlete when one rep max testing comes? Are you saying, here's how I want you to work up, and here are the maximum amount of attempts that you get to take above XYZ percent? And so if you don't take that, then it becomes, well, what does my what is the point, right, of of doing that? So essentially I'm telling you, coach your athletes of how to take a one rep max test. So if you're doing, let's take our 225 pound kid. Me personally, what I would say is, hey, we're gonna warm up to 90% of your old one rep max. All right. So in this case, that's gonna be about 200, 205 pounds. And we're gonna do that for one rep. We're gonna see how that moves. It looks incredibly easy, then we're going to go to 220. We're going to go just under your old PR. If it doesn't move great, then maybe we go to 210, 215. Okay. But the maximum amount of attempts that I want taken are going to be six total attempts, and three of those should not exceed your old one rep max test. So three of them should not exceed 225. So again, we take 200, we take 220, that moves well. I can't take anything more than three over that. So my next logical jump would be to take 230, right? Go for that five-pound PR. Take the baby PR while it's there. Let's say athlete A hits that, okay? So we essentially have two more takes that we can do at the absolute most, right? So let's say they take 240. 
240 moves, but there's not a whole lot left. Now you got to make a decision. Is 245 or 250 worth the jump, or do we stop there? And again, we talked about missing. Nobody gets stronger from missing. Nothing's proved why you miss, especially if you know you're going to test your bench press or your hang clean further down the road. You've got to think about that as a legitimate question and concern. So in my case, if I thought 240 looked about like all that athlete had, maybe 245 was in the cards, but I'm not like, let's go for it, then I'm going to have my athlete stop. But many coaches get greedy and they say, put the 250 on there. We're going to go for it. This is the day to do it. And then they miss. Maybe they were good for 245. And now, so now your numbers are going to be based off the 240 versus 245. And you probably burn them out, uh, taking that 250, knowing you got a max bench press on Tuesday, the next day. Um, you can see how this can become a problem, right? There, there's, 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 I obviously have a methodical way that I've thought about how we're, how we're going to test, but I'm going to tell you right now, majority of coaches don't think about sitting down, telling their athletes, this is how we're going to approach our one rep max day. And even if you use the percentages, they might say, well, we're going to take a hundred two and a half percent of your old one. Right. And then that might be that two thirty, two thirty five. But again, it's assuming a certain amount of progress. So that is the other major issue that I have at a con of one max testing is that there is a good and smart way to test it. And then there's a bad way where we're just going to work up and do whatever we can. We're just going to keep going. And in my facility, we have what's called the two PR rule. If, if you've listened to me talk or, or been in my facility or, or know me, you know that I'm a big fan of the two PR rule, which means you can't hit more than two PRs in a given day. On a particular lift. So in our case, for example, our athlete hit 230, they hit 240. In, in my facility, done. I, I don't care if you got 20 pounds left in the tank. You're done for today. I've never seen anything great happen from taking more than two PR attempts, right? So if you're listening to this and you're looking for a way to improve your one-time accessing, that's my thing. Uh, if you want to use it, please do. Uh, but it's just a way that I try to help my athletes make weight decisions. And I think there's always another day that we can work up. Okay. And then I talk about uh, another con with the one rep max testing. And we again said, if you don't have the KPIs, then you don't have a way to measure that integratedly into your program. But the other issue that I have is that standards go out the window and sacrifice of more weight. Right. And that's why I really tried to talk about the integrity or the quality of the lifts when you're running that one max testing. So from a con perspective, squats get higher, bench press gets heaved more, butts come off higher, hang cleans get starfished, deadlifts get more rounded. We're sacrificing quality training for a sheer number on a lift that we may or may not know immediately improves or has improved performance. So trying to preach to your athletes that technique does matter and we don't want to throw it out the window and sacrifice for five or 10 more pounds. You're an athlete, not a lifter in powerlifting technical breakdowns for 10 more pounds are probably worth it. If you're chasing records, wins, PRs, I get it. It's never always going to be perfect, especially in that world. But for an athlete, again, if we don't have our KPIs that tell us if it's worthwhile that we don't know whether putting that 10 more pounds on the bar is truly worth it. And that's something that you've got to discuss within your staff or, you know, your training partners or your other, your athletes is this worth it. So my caveat here for this, let's say you still want to run with the squat, the bench press and the hang clean or the power clean, depending upon where you want to pull from the floor, the hang, that's up to you. 
So my first suggestion would be for the squad is that, one, we're going to box squat. I'm just going to take away the depth issues right off the get-go from day one, and we're just going to box squat, and that's going to be our test. doesn't mean we're not going to free squat. We have athletes free squat all the time. Um, but if I was running a team, I would just go with the box squat and just get it out of the way. We're going to figure out what everybody's box height is. We're going to put athletes of similar heights together so that we, there's less box changes. And we're just going to run with the box squat as our one at max. So I don't have to worry about the depth, right? That's going to take care of that. Teach our athletes how to box squat well, too. But that would be the big thing on the squat that I would limit. On the bench press, the next would be that the hips have to stay on the bench press, just like with a competition bench press. The feet have to stay on the ground, just like with a competition bench press. And the the bounce or the heave would probably kind of be based upon the coach. Um, but the other way you could get rid of this too would be to use like a one board um, because you can't really bounce it off a of one board like you can your chest. You know what I'm talking about? So um, that would be another constraint that you can add. But I think the big thing is you can just make sure they have to keep their butt down and their feet flat. They're going to bounce it a lot less and then that's going to help. And then obviously it cannot be spotter assisted. Your spotter cannot touch the barbell for it to count. And that would be a way to add some constraints on the bench press. On the deadlift, I would probably drift towards more a hex bar than a conventional or a sumo for testing purposes. Um, that's going to keep athletes more vertical and in a safer position, more cases than not. Uh, that would probably be the, the fix there. Okay, pretty easy if you're on a deadlift testing. From a clean perspective, I really, if I'm going to test an athlete, I really want to see what it is from the hang. Uh, and particularly above the knee, and then they can't starfish it. Okay, that that's basically going to be the rules. That you know, if it looks ugly, I'm going to shut you down early. Uh, as soon as your feet start to get outside of you know a, a land stance, um, well outside your shoulders, that rep's not going to count, right? Your feet are going to have to stay within your shoulder width. So when we go down to catch it, we're in a good front rack position. We're able to catch that barbell in that quarter or power position, um, then that would be your testing. So some of it's going to be coaching a little bit, but you can add some of those constraint constraints, like I mentioned in terms of the box squat and your hip position and using a hex bar, you can modify some things to get your testing to be a little bit more, um, standardized and help athletes get better numbers, but take the thinking out of it of whether they're squatting high. Okay. Now going back to the KPIs, this is kind of the other major part is, is figuring out whether the strength is mattering. So if you want to be squat, bench, hang clean guy, support that. If you want to be a squat, bench, trap bar, deadlift guy, support that. Whatever you choose. But I would definitely have some kind of sprint-based test, um, ideally a linear and a change of direction test if at all possible. So whether you're doing 10s, 20s, or 40s, you know, a lot of football guys are going to do 40s. You could even probably even go off your 100 if you really wanted to. But I think 10, 20s, or 40s is probably what's going to be, depending on your sport, um, and use that as a linear speed test. And, again, you're going to grab these while you do your other testing too. Okay, You don't want to just guess. Get everything together at the same time. Your change of direction test probably going to be a pro agility, like a 5, 10, 5. You can even do an Illinois test. Um, you know, the T test there, there's a couple different ones you can do 
for most high school kids or pr- private facilities, the pro agility is going to kind of be the, the standard. You don't need a lot of space. Um, timers form are very easy. We use arena timer and arena gear timer, I think is what it's called, but we use that to gather our times for our athletes. And that's how we measure progress there. So those would be my, my two speed things. The next thing is you're going to want to look at some kind of power output from a jumping perspective. So again, the common ones are going to be a vertical jump and a broad jump, pretty standard, pretty easy to do, pretty easy to set up. Uh, you know, just get a vertex and grab a couple kids and, and get going. If you have multiple vertex, you can use the, the jump mats. Um, I'm not huge on those, but if that's what you've got, you use what you've got at your disposal, just so you can quantify things. And then the final piece of that would be any other test that you think is worthwhile. And for me, if you're working with certain sports, you might have certain things you can look at. So let's say you've got baseball player, your pitchers, you can probably measure max velo. Is max velo increasing? Yes. Okay. Then your program is probably working. The testing that you're doing, what went up with max velo? Did bench press go up? Did deadlift go up? Did squat go up? What had the bigger increase? Okay, maybe that's a key indicator of what's helping the pitching velocity. Um, Swimming, cross country, things like that that actually have timers. So track and field, those are pretty obvious, right? If your times are going down and those strength numbers are getting better, then that's a good sign as well. Um, The main issue there is that obviously the running volumes change, the swimming volumes change, and those coaches need to be respected that what they're doing is working as well. So just pinpointing one thing is a little hard, but if you've got your three main movements and your broad jump and your vertical jump, and you can tell that those are improving and 200 meter times went down and broad jump went through the roof, maybe there's a correlation there between your broad jump and your sprint time. Okay. Hypothetical, but I'm just saying having that data lets you kind of figure out what's working and what's not. But if you don't do any of those tests, then you don't know which lift is helping particularly what or any jumps, right? You don't know if any of those are improving or not. Um, and so those are the kind of the main things that I would look at. You know, basketball, you don't really have anything. Football is kind of hard to tell. Usually you're going to use your speed and agility test to tell from a performance perspective uh, if you've got KPIs that will drift towards the lifting. Um, but your objective-based sports that are heavily based on time or like shot put and discus with throwing distance, those are nice sports to have because the data is right there in front of you. you got numbers, right? So um, from a one-rep max testing perspective, blend all that together. Now, with teams, I understand if you've got all these athletes and getting all these tests, it becomes, becomes very, very difficult to gather all this data of information. So – from a let's talk about logistic perspective of how would I one rep max test if I was going to. So I would pair things together um, as much as I could. So my suggestion would be, let's say we're going to do the squat, the bench press and the hang clean. So we're going to test on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to put rest in between the days so that our athletes can be as recovered as possible. And on our day one, will be sprint, or I'm sorry, we'll be back squat. We're going to do three tests. We're going to do our vertical jump test. We're going to do our linear speed test and our back squat test, and that is it. 
That is that is it. Regular dynamic warm-up, but that's all we're doing for that day. Me personally, I would probably do the sprints first, jump second, uh, squats third. Okay, you can vary those. I know if you got a lot of kids, you might set them into two groups, have a sprint group, a jump group, have them switch. That's probably going to be fine. There's probably not going to be a huge significant difference in their numbers. Okay, but you just want to make sure you're doing the spring and the jumping before you squat. You don't want to um, go do that in a fatigued state. So that's what I would do for your day one. On your day two, that's where you're going to put your bench press. And then any kind of upper body power based exercise, if you have, if you're going to measure one. So let's say you just do um, maybe like a rotational med ball throw or something of that nature, then you could use that. But for a lot of people, they're usually not going to have like an upper body plyometric exercise. So another option here, so you can kind of get some bang for your buck at your time, you get your bench press one rep max and then your pull up and your chin up max, rep max. So you may have kids that can't do any, you may have kids that can do 20, uh, but I think that's a good place to put that test so that you at least have some kind of information from a pull up perspective. Uh, the other option that you could do would be a push up test. Um, but I would just, if you're going to use the bench press, I would just run off the bench press and not worry about the pushups. So you just got some options there. If you want to try to figure out an upper body power exercise, uh, I, I'm all for it, but usually you're going to have a hard time finding one that's very easy to implement across multiple sports to where there's carryovers. That's why I say you can use your pitching velocity and, you know, your discus throwers can use that, that can tie into those days, uh, as well. And you can basically pair those with those that exercise if you wish. And then the third day would be then your X-bar deadlift or your hang clean, whatever you're using there for that pull test. Uh, but on that day, that's the day I would do my broad jump. And that's the day I would do my pro agility. Now, if you want to spread this out a little bit and try to have a little less work on that day, totally fine. And you can put your broad jump on your bench press day, or you can put your pro agility day on your bench press day. So that you've only got two tests on those last two days uh, that's one way to do it as well. So you can spread those out if you really wish. Um, but those, if I was going to have to do three, then I would put my change of direction, broad jump, and my hang clean or my um, my deadlift on that day. And again, that's all I would do. And that would have your testing very laid out. Um, it's going to obviously take some time, but if you can do that with your groups and your times, then you can. If you can only get one thing in a day or maybe two at the absolute most and just spread it out a little bit more, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit harder, but you could do, say, a squat on your Monday and a bench press on your Tuesday, your linear speed on Thursday, your change of direction day on Thursday, and then your hang clean on Friday, and then find anywhere else you can get your jumps in. Um, you know, you might keep your jumps with your clean and your, um, your squat. You can put them on with your speed and agility day, which when you run vertically, you're going to, uh, I'm sorry, when you sprint for max speed or your 40, your linear speed, you're going to do your vertical jump. When you do your change of direction, you're going to do your broad jump. That's all possible as well. Uh, so that's kind of gives you an idea how you can kind of spread stuff out as much as possible so that your lifting spread out so they don't affect each other. And then by the time Wednesday and Thursday come, your legs hopefully feel fine after your squats on Monday that you can still sprint and jump. And then your hang cleans or your deadlifts shouldn't be too affected by doing a couple sprint tests and, and 
jump testing. That should be okay. Um, so that was how I would also lay that out. That's what you want to do. Now, the final thing I'll put with you here is I personally don't do one rep max testing with my athletes. I We use our KPIs, so we use our, our, um, our vertical jump and our broad jump for our plyometric tests, and then we either – we only usually do one agility test for our athletes. We base it on the sport that they do. So they'll do their pro agility or their, um, their 20 yard sprint. And that's kind of our KPIs. And then as long as their squat variations are improving, their deadlift variations are improving, their clean variations are improving, their bench press variations are improving. We don't even test those because I'm after the athletic movements getting better first and foremost. And then, Everything else will follow. If if all that stuff's getting better, I can almost bet that we're going to see improvements in the KPIs. And again, like I said, you can track your sets of threes, your sets of fives. If you're doing two sets of two or three sets of two and that volume is getting better over the course of months, my athletes are getting stronger. I, I don't need the one rep back. So tell me if I really wanted to, I would just extrapolate. Oh, you did. 125 or three sets of two on your bench press for girl a your bench press is probably 135 i'm gonna go with 135 and that's that's all i really need as a coach right uh, I, i'm not too worried about what that number tells me so from a one rep max testing for athletes i hope we covered a lot of good information here that lets you think critically about a is it worth it B, if it is worth it, am I testing the right things? Am I doing my testing the correct way? And are there better ways that I, could I do my testing, whether you're laying it out or the time involved and using KPIs to make sure that your one rep max testing is doing what you want it to do, which is tracking progress and seeing how your programs are improving. Because if they're not, then you need to reevaluate why your one rep max test run rep max testing your athletes to begin with. So this is definitely more focused towards like the high school athlete more so than anything else, or maybe the private sector collegiate athletes. It usually is part of the program uh, in terms of the strength conditioning coach to take back to the coaching staff. Um, but even then, if you're a collegiate coach, if you can get your coach to understand this kind of concept of how that improves the KPIs, then I think a lot of coaches would understand unless there are just certain numbers that they want to see hit. Like all my wrestlers have to be able to do 12 chin-ups, 12 strict chin-ups. Then, you know, it is what it is. Make sure your athletes can do all 12 chin-ups strict. But the college sector has a little bit more understanding because there's a lot of, there's just a lot of money involved. Okay. That's all there is to it. In collegiate sports, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of coaches that their job relies on getting results and they've got to be able to prove that to admins and coaches of the sports a little bit different. It's actually almost like a business decision than anything else where at the high school level, that's not really so much a quote unquote business decision. It's just doing what's best for the athletes and getting them better and their ability to make progress is so much easier. It shouldn't really be much of an issue. I think you're going to be okay. If you've kind of follow the ideas that I've laid out here from a one rep maxing perspective. So that's what I want to discuss today with the one rep max, one rep max testing for athletes. What I do, my viewpoints on it, hopefully you can improve your testing procedures. If you do use one rep max testing and 
I also want to challenge you to think outside the box on your one rep max testing. Could you get away with doing two rep maxes or three rep maxes? Could you get away with doing different exercises that put them up for a safer position? So like I talked about the box squat or the bench press, maybe on a floor press. Could you get away with doing a front squat instead of a back squat where you're using less load? So maybe it carries over. If you're a, if you're big on the clean, the front squat is probably going to carry over to your clean more so than the back squat. So if you can improve your front squat, maybe your clean will go up and those, those two tests can be more driven towards your progress within your athletic department and you're not married to the back squat for just one sport. Or if you got a sport that you don't use the clean, you're choosing to trap bar deadlift, then maybe you do back squat, right? There's, there's lots of different avenues you can take your testing. And I'm not going to say that one is any better than the other because I don't know your situation, but if you can standardize stuff to make things simple and as dummy proof as possible. And I hate to say that, but with the athletes and kids, the simpler you can make it for them, the easier it's going to be for you to get the results that you want and make sure that the numbers that you're getting are as reliable as possible. If you are going to go the one rep max testing route for your athletes. So that's what I've got today here. With this episode, I appreciate you jumping on, listening to this episode. I hope you just took away one awesome thing for one max testing. Uh, it's a very interesting topic within the strength and conditioning and sports performance realm. And again, I'm not saying anybody is right or wrong. This is purely my take on what I would do and some thoughts for you to implement to help your program succeed with one max testing if you choose to use it. So again, Thank you for tuning in for today's episode. I hope you took away one thing. Please feel free to reach out to me with any questions regarding this. I'd be happy to help you with the one rep max testing stuff. It's also great to be back on the podcast again, and we have more episodes coming here in the future, so make sure you tune in for those upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More Podcast. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you like to consume your podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube at The Smitley, where you'll find clips and lots of educational-based material for strength and conditioning and exercise science. You can also make sure you give me a follow on Instagram at The Smitley or at Team Thirst, which is my gym Instagram page. For any more future updates on episodes to come, you can make sure you follow me there. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you at the next episode.